Welcome to Good Girls Talk About Sex. I am sex and intimacy coach Leah Carey, and this is a place to share conversations with all sorts of women about their experience of sexuality. These are unfiltered conversations between adult women talking about sex. If anything about the previous sentence offends you, turn back now. And if you're looking for a trigger warning, you're not going to get it from me. I believe that you are stronger than the trauma you have experienced. I have faith in your ability to deal with things that upset you. Sound good? Let's start the show. Hey, friends. You know I love it when people approach me to be interviewed on the podcast. Usually, a listener will submit the form on my website, which you can find at www.goodgirlstalk.com forward slash guest. And based on that form, I usually know their age, race, sexual orientation, relationship status, and whatever small tidbit of their story that they choose to share. But in some cases, when I connect with people through other means, I know almost nothing. And that was the case with Debbie. The only thing I knew about her prior to the interview was that she's postmenopausal. Because it's often hard to get women who are postmenopausal to have these conversations, I jumped at the opportunity to interview her, even without knowing anything else. And that's how we ended up in the middle of a conversation that I had absolutely no idea was coming. And I'm going to let it unfold for you just as it did for me. But I want to let you know before we start that if you're familiar with the world of competitive gymnastics, as I am, our conversation may bring up some questions for you. It certainly did for me. So partway through the show, I'm going to break in and do my best to clear up those questions as much as we can. But there's a lot of story to tell before we get there. So let's dive in. Debbie is a 52-year-old cisgender female. She describes herself as white, heterosexual, monogamous, married, and postmenopausal. She describes her body as average. I am so pleased to introduce Debbie. Debbie, thank you so much for being with me today. I'm really excited to talk with you. I'm looking forward. <laughs> you sound a little bit nervous, and I want to tell you that that is so normal. <laughs> I Well, that would, it would be weird, I think. For me, if I weren't. So, I, okay. yeah, I am. But I'm so, I'm, yeah, I'm feeling excited rather than nervous. Or it's okay. changing. I can mm-hmm. feel my body changing from nervous and like, what the heck? To mm-hmm. excited. Excellent. And like anticipatory, like, what's going to happen? Well, let's dive in. Um, so, the first question I ask everyone is, what is your first memory of sexual pleasure? Oh my gosh, actually, what a great question. Um, pleasure is, uh, I'm going to be blushing so much. <laughs> okay, I'm just, okay. My first, um, was my first boyfriend. How old were you? Uh, 16. And do you remember what the things were that were happening that caused you that experience of pleasure? My first vivid memory, which was pretty cool, was um, he, he, he was such a sweetie pie. I think he had learned from um, older friends or magazines or somewhere uh, this really cool thing using ice. Uh-huh. It was just it was just really lovely. I think what was so lucky about that, I had full trust so I could just uh, relax and be really – uh, vulnerable and relaxed and at the same time just be in my body and uh, yeah so I just was able to lie there it was in my bedroom it's classic you know high school like right? <laughs> childhood bedroom um, but no one was home <laughs> one of those things and your clothes were off how much of your clothes yeah, were yeah, off was just, I was completely naked and he just was like, 
you know, putting this ice cube, melting, it was summer, really hot. I'm from Southern California. So, you know, melting this ice cube on me and in me. And it was just really lovely, honestly. Yeah. Like that is, it's funny how that came to me right away and I had kind of forgotten about that mm. time. But that would probably be the first time that I remember really, yeah. That sounds really lovely. Yeah. 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 Um. So you you moved right into a nude experience with that boyfriend, but I assume you didn't get naked with him immediately. So, um, so let's, let's back up a little bit into your earlier years. Had you started masturbating at any point before him? I don't think so. I, it was around that time and I, it could have been, I think my memory is that it was because of him and with him. We learned together. Mm. He was very um, uh, certain that he wanted to wait until he was married before he had sex. And I uh, talked him into it. I thought it would be a really good idea for us to have oh, wow. sex. <laughs> and um, I, mean, I didn't have to talk him into it. That didn't take that much. Talking into it <laughs> didn't take that much. But um, I'm sorry that I'm turning away. It's just easier not to look. Is that okay? Yeah, it's <laughs> like, fine. not look you in the eye. <laughs> I don't talk freely about that to many people. Yeah. So um, how did the two of you sort of navigate that where he thought I should wait until marriage and you were pushing it a little bit further and faster? Did he have any guilt over that? Did Was there any shame in that relationship? Mm -mm. Um, I am really lucky about this relationship. It's so funny because I like that we've started with this because I have other um, things that weren't wonderful, of course, but it, I was really, I'm really lucky. That was, I guess, technically he was my second boyfriend or third, uh -huh. third, like third, I don't know, it doesn't matter, but um, the, my first serious boyfriend and, um, and it's so funny, we, we met on a whim at a party and held hands. And uh, it's funny. We just really were good, good friends mm. and uh, liked each other a lot and loved each other. And like, it, it wasn't like we had, he had guilt or anything. It was just that, you know, we were raised and as since I'm 52, I think too, there was a certain expectation for good girls and good boys that you're just supposed to wait. And I don't think anyone actually did. <laughs> so, you know, I think there was just that expectation. You know, this just, it wasn't guilt-laden. It was just a, I think, a social more. And I, mm -hmm. you know, that's just not even a thing anymore. But there were just more... I don't know, there was a bit of a framework still. And so we just had to have this discussion and it wasn't like, I was like, come on, like that. It was more, <laughs> it was like, I just said, are you sure? You know, like we love each other. And I, I think I even, and I think I truly believed it at some level, like we're probably going to be married. <laughs> <laughs> Which is just ridiculous. But, um, so, you know, we were too young, too fast uh, too close, you know, and so when we broke up, it was difficult. And mm -hmm. but I mean, that's just life, you know. I mm -hmm. mean, I, I, but we were very close, and it was really a lot of fun. Mm. So you mentioned uh, while you're talking about that that you went to the same church. Mm -hmm. What kinds of messages were you getting at home and at church about sex and sexuality? So here's where. My life is topsy-turvy from a lot of people. Um, I have had um, fairly awful things, but they were not within the church. And mm -hmm. so the church for me was, uh, it was Presbyterian Church. Uh, I still to this day have fond um, memories of it. And I think that's the reason I never threw the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak, and I've remained Christian. Mm -hmm. Um, I have really healthy, uh, messages about sex. I mean, there were the messages that you shouldn't have sex before marriage and there were certain old school kind of messages, but they weren't 
overarching. Mm -hmm. In fact, you know, it's funny because I often talk about the, the most healthy relationship experiences uh, from my middle school, high school time were it, within the church. We used to give each other back rubs. We were a very close knit uh, youth group. Mm -hmm. So back rubs happened, you know, uh, sure. and cuddling happened and a really healthy kind of, there was this cute, I don't know how they framed it, but as soon as you entered the youth group, all the clicks and all the, all the bullshit was, you were, you were required to drop it. I can't remember how they phrased it, but it was kind of sweet. So you walk into those doors. I, it, yeah. So that, to, for me, it was like probably the opposite of most people's experiences. So you've referenced that you had some really difficult experiences. Mm -hmm. Are you okay talking about those? Yeah, I'm really okay with that. That was, that's probably why I was feeling nervous before. Um, I sure. love that we just started talking about my first experience of pleasure and. Yeah. So I don't know exactly what it is that you're referring to. So I can't ask you really good leading questions to get no, you that's there. Fair. Um, where would you like to start? The most concrete, public, easily, easy to frame what that, what has happened to me and more than once, unfortunately, is that, um, I was a gymnast. I was a gymnast from the time I was five until I was 13. Mm -hmm. Um, and my coach, um, my coach, uh, is one of the coaches that has been, um, outed. Oh, no. Uh, yeah. And, uh, publicly he was, it, it was funny because I've often, um, I have it written in my diary. I, um, have it all written in my diary. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, it's been really, uh, okay. So it was the eighties and, uh, when I, while I was at the gym, I didn't know this at the time. Um, he was on trial for, um, pedophilia, um, and violence, mm -hmm. abuse. Uh, uh, he was being, he was on trial and the girls that, uh, that had decided to go uh, forward with this, they're all just slightly older than me, just really slightly older than me. So they mm -hmm. were there at the gym, but I didn't, you know, I didn't realize all that had, ha that all that was happening. And, uh, uh, he was acquitted. And were your parents aware? I mean, it's one thing for you as a child not to be aware, but what about your parents? Okay, so uh, again, it was the 80s. Um, I come from a very conservative place. A good example of were the parents aware, um, one of the parents of one of the girls who was uh, prosecuting him, one of the uh, those parents actually sided with this coach. Mm -hmm. the, the parents actually quite liked him, mm -hmm. including my parents. I'm sorry. And yeah, it like, <laughs> whew, so, um, it was not a good thing. And so he was acquitted. And so he, you know, nothing ever changed. The reason I know all this is kind of, I've lined up all the dates and things. So I was chosen as his next, um, person, no girl mm -hmm. or whatever, uh, right then. And, um, mm. it's the age that he likes. So he groomed. I didn't, of course, I'm using these terms post. Right? Of course, yeah. You know, I, 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 uh, I was groomed in a way that was quite interesting because, um, uh, he had a preference for, um, girls, really, I mean, me to a T. He called, uh, me princess and then, uh, like had this, um, the house spoiled, uh, and stuff like that. So taking advantage of that feeling in me that I don't want to be, I, you know, I'm not spoiled. I don't mm -hmm. want to be like a princess. I, I'm tough, you know. Mm -hmm. Fuck, I was tough. I, I was, you know, obviously I was, a we, it was a, a very good gym. Um, mm -hmm. So um, here's where it gets interesting. There was this funny, interesting, odd uh, spring and summer where he, me and my best friend who happened to be Chinese. So what happened that summer is that there was a Romanian um, coach who defected and he came first to our gym. And so Doug and, and we just called him the Romanian. Okay. Here is the promised explanatory break-in. 
As I'm sure you can already guess, Debbie is about to tell a story about sexual improprieties by both her coach and the, quote, Romanian. If you're not familiar with the world of gymnastics, what Debbie just said probably meant nothing to you. But if you're even passingly familiar with the world of competitive gymnastics, mention of a male Romanian coach who defected in the early 80s probably brought the most famous name in women's gymnastics to mind. You'll notice I'm not saying his name. All we have here is memories from 40 years ago and some conjecture. So I think it would be irresponsible to say his name and create the illusion of a direct connection that may or may not exist. Instead, I'll call the person who I'm thinking of the big coach, and I'll call the man in Debbie's story the Romanian, just like she does. They may or may not be the same man. The big coach has been publicly accused of verbal, emotional, and physical abuse of the gymnasts he worked with. It is well documented that gymnasts were sexually abused by others at his facilities. But to my knowledge, there are not public accusations of him sexually abusing the gymnasts he trained. The gym owner that Debbie is talking about, Doug, was banned from USA Gymnastics in 2010. His gym did host the big coach for a while in the early 1980s. All of that is a matter of public record. But any assumptions made based on timing remain only that, assumptions. As a gym that trained elite athletes, it's quite possible that other former Romanian coaches came through those doors, and I'm not in a position to connect any dots. When Debbie calls him the Romanian, that's not something she's doing to protect his identity. It's the only thing she ever heard him called at the time. I literally was never given a name, she told me, which actually says a lot. And while my curious brain would really like to know whether this line of questioning is legitimate or not, ultimately, it doesn't really matter. What matters is that there were multiple levels of power differential here. These were adult men coaching just barely teenage girls, and they were powerful coaches who could make or break an elite athlete's career. The world of elite gymnastics, unfortunately, has been rife with sexual predation. The very public downfall of Larry Nassar is likely just the tip of the iceberg. And you'll hear in a minute how healing it has been for Debbie to watch the scores of current and former gymnasts confront Nassar in court in 2018. One final thing I want to mention before we go on. While telling this story, Debbie talks about another young female gymnast who was also abused. I was so caught up in her story that I didn't flag that she was saying this other gymnast's name. That young girl slash now woman didn't ask to or consent to be part of this story. So to preserve her privacy, we're bleeping out her name. Now, I don't usually make a big deal about which interviewees are using a real name and which are using a fake name. But in this case, it's relevant to say that Debbie is a pseudonym for today's interviewee. Okay, let's get back to the story. Doug and the Romanian were really, really good friends. And so Doug and the Romanian and me and were the only four people together um, in this special thing he was doing, which Mm -hmm. the fuck, where was my mom and dad? But um, all day, like in the summer, it was like all day. And uh, we would be in his apartment. We would be at his, uh, he had an apartment and a house with a pool and his, um, we would be at the beach and we would be in the gym. And Doug liked me and the Romanian liked And it wasn't good. And it got uh, uh, worse and worse. And suddenly and this is where it's interesting. Again, I, I, everyone, my mom was thrilled because obviously if you're chosen by him, um, it's quite an honor. Mm-hmm. But a little voice in me, I was uh, going into grade nine, into ninth grade. A little voice in me just went like, stop. It was the weirdest thing. I still don't know. It didn't make any sense because in my diary, I write things like, I want to marry Doug, right? (laughs) I was was being groomed. I want to marry Doug and, oh, I hope he likes me. And all these things are in my diary. 
along with all the other stuff. And um, mm-hmm. it was my only love. I had <laughs> life-size, like these huge posters of Nadia and yeah. uh, Olga uh-huh. on my bedroom walls. And I used to just stare. I mean, I, I, my only magazine subscription was International Gymnast. Um, it was my entire life. My dad uh, took me to the uh, uh, Olympic trials. So you were on track to be an elite gymnast, it sounds like. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. And you walked away. Yeah. So it was the hardest thing I've ever done. I was 13. Wow. And nobody understood. My parents were pissed, of course. And Did and your parents know what had happened with him? Did you ever talk to them about it? I have tried to, I've told my mom and she goes in these like, uh, almost fugue states. Like mm. she'll, you know, I mean, I get it. It's that old school. Um, so I'll tell her and she'll be like, oh, honey. And then it's like she's never heard it if I bring it up again. Wow. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, sure. So, yeah, she's just can't. And so um, – and my dad has passed away. Um, he also – I don't think he got it exactly. Mm. Like he did. He tried. He tried very, very hard, but – that's so hard because like a parent's job is to protect their child. And at the same time, sometimes our brains get in the way and want to protect us from any belief that we could have caused harm yeah. just by our not knowing. So that that in no way absolves your parents. Um, they yeah. should have been there to protect you and be with you. Yes. And it's also, I mean, it's just so hard on <laughs> every side. It was challenging, um, and it was challenging. My whole life, it was this kind of weird uh, – this is, this is an obvious thing I'm going to say, but it's weird to say it out loud in a full mm-hmm. sentence because it was my child brain trying to make sense of something that wasn't condemned by anybody at all, mm-hmm. right? He, yeah. he, won inter- he won the United States Coach of the Year in 2009. Wow. So, right? So this man – was lauded this man you know he had been he was acquitted of that that was all these crazy little girls they didn't know what they were doing right it was one of those classic kids lie you know whatever um so uh, according to the outside world this man was a a a god you Mm -hmm. know like a, a an amazing person and even though as I grew up, I was like, no, he was, you know, um, <laughs> and I did my work. There's still the fact that until 2010, uh, there was no uh, outward confirmation for that. Mm-hmm. And so I, I still had my little girl self going, well, I just didn't, there was something wrong, but I was, you know, I was alone in that. In 2009, 2010, was he convicted? Was did Mm-mm. he go to trial? Mm-mm. The worst that's happened to him is that he's been fired. Oh wow! So what has it been like for you over the last couple of years to watch all of these young women? Awesome! I am so happy. Yeah, I am so happy. It's been the most freeing, and and the most I've been able to reclaim my sexual self in a lot mm. of ways. Um, I've been able to make sense of things that have not made sense because mm. even though I've gone to therapy and, you know, obviously lots of that stuff I've worked through, it wasn't until it was public, you know, and, and, and that these girls have, there's just, I'm so like, go keep talking. Yeah. Yes. Right. <laughs> it's all true. And be women that, you know, you can be proud of. And I'm so proud of them. I'm so proud of them. Yeah. You know, I, I, my heart breaks for the things that have happened to them. Don't get me wrong. But the fact that they have found a voice and the fact that, oh, what is the woman's name who was the spokes, who was like the leader for them? Oh, fuck, uh, was it Allie Raceman? Yes. Or, yeah. Oh, she was one of them. And I was She's just incredible. like, go, Allie. I've just, I'd like, I'd be crying, uh, by myself, you know, just the, the yeah. reading and crying and happy though, happy mm-hmm. because they have a voice now. Yeah. And it's not, it's like, it's amazing. Yeah. I think it's going to be a lot easier for the little girls coming up. A lot harder for anybody to do damage. God, I hope so. Yeah, I mean, it's got there's work to be done. There's a lot of work to be done, but I feel like a a dam has broken. Mm -hmm. I'm so so sorry that you went through that and that you didn't get the kind of recognition and healing you needed, 
And also, I'm so pleased for you and everyone else that this has broken wide open over the last couple of years. Yeah. It's, I mean, honestly, I, uh, until 2010, life was still really hard. Like there mm. were, there were times where I'd have to just kind of explain. There were, there were a couple other experiences that were kind of, uh, crappy, uh, as well. And so I would just have to explain to partners, um, that, you had to be, there were things that, you know, I said, you know, I do the classic, like sometimes I would just start crying. I didn't know why, um, triggers would happen that, um, you know, I, I wasn't aware <laughs> there were triggers, yeah. um, and, uh, stuff like that. How did you talk to later partners? Like what kinds of things did you have to, did you explain to them? I had, I don't know if I feel that comfortable talking about it, um, but I had an uncomfortable, I had an unfortunate, uh, experience with my own dad, which, mm -hmm. which is really sad. He had been horribly abused himself. And he, I just think in his, yeah, he suffered from a bit of mental illness. And mm -hmm. I think that, you know, yeah. whatever. So there's that first experience. And then there was the experience with Doug. And then, um, weirdly, uh, my first year in university, uh, I had what is now called date rape. And I was, it was mm. like before it became a term that happened to me. Uh, he stalked me for nine months. Uh, I said, wow. no, 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 no. He got me, he caught me off guard one night, um, uh, a series of unfortunate events. Um, I blacked out and whatever. Um, so those three, that kind of trifecta mm -hmm. uh, made things afterward really, really challenging. And I would sure. just basically explain to people. I didn't. So my lovely first boyfriend, uh, we dated and then this is, <laughs> I, I mean, I just call it rape. When I, when I was raped, the month after that, my dad, uh, left my mom. And, uh, two months after that, my mom's, uh, now husband, um, moved in. Mm -hmm. And the day he, uh, met me was the same day that my, uh, boyfriend broke up with me mm. because I just couldn't handle, I was not, you know, I mean, he broke up with me for very good boundary reasons, I think. Mm -hmm. I was freaking out and couldn't, be a good friend. Mm. Right? I mean, it, yeah, it was a very healthy thing that he broke up with me in the end. Um, but I was on the floor of my room. I was crying or, and my mom came and said, stop crying. Uh, this is Jim. He's oh walking out to the house. This is what you have to do, whatever. Uh -huh. So, um, that happened. So I guess what I'm saying is all of that happened. And so yeah. anybody that I had had, I think that trifecta of just those, like, so I then didn't have any um, boyfriends really for a while, as you might imagine, mm -hmm. or even really partners at all. And then um, I started having, you know, partners, boyfriends, whatever. And I was just frank. I was like, I, I don't know, but this might happen. Mm -hmm. Uh, if I cry or whatever, you know, I just need space. Um, I went on a self healing journey of wanting to be really proactive, um, wanting to make choices because I realized that the stuff, the bad stuff that had happened to me happened because I was passive. Mm. You know, the, the, the key thing there was that I was the passive person in those cases. Sure. I wasn't making choices. So I decided just as a, as a, as a thing, just to flip the script mm -hmm. and to be active. So if somebody uh, was interested in me, I was like really clear. I was like, well, am I interested in them? And if I was, I was like, this is what we're doing. And I just became the one who was like, this is what we're doing. These are the mm -hmm. rules. This is what, you know, and if I cry, this is why I'm crying, but whatever, this is okay. This isn't okay, et cetera. And how did those, how did people generally respond to that? Really well, actually. I want to invite you to imagine for a moment 
what your ideal sex life looks like and feels like. Who are you with? What type of sex do you have together? How do you feel while touching them? And how does your body feel when they touch you? Or maybe you'd like to be having less sex than you're currently having. If you don't know, or if that vision of your ideal doesn't look at all like what's currently going on in your bedroom, I can help. With personalized sex and intimacy coaching, we'll explore where you are, how you got here, where you want to be, and the steps to help you get there. There are no right or wrong answers, just the answers that work for you. I understand that exploring your sexuality and all that goes with it, your body image, your belief in your lovability, and more can be terrifying. Believe me, I sat in the middle of that fire for decades. I know how painful it is. But I also stepped out the other side, stronger, more confident, and more certain of my lovability and desirability, and I want the same for you. I work with couples and one-on-one, whether you've never explored your sexual desires before, or you want to explore things you've never done before, like maybe BDSM or non-monogamy, or if you and your partner need some help figuring out how to communicate together so you can have better sex. I'm queer, kinky, and poly-friendly, and I want you to have a deeply fulfilling, intimate life. Together, we can help you get there. For more information and to schedule your free discovery call, visit leahcarry.com forward slash coaching. A new client recently said that before her discovery call, she was extremely nervous, but that I made the experience feel easy and comfortable. So book your free discovery call today at leahcarry.com forward slash coaching. So were you having pleasure during these sexual experiences with all these different people? I've been really lucky because obviously the things that were bad were very, very, very bad and mm-hmm. wrong and not pleasurable. Yeah. Um, but I've also had the good fortune, uh, like my first boyfriend, like it was healthy. Mm-hmm. It was yeah. really healthy. And I learned, we learned together um, yeah. how to have pleasure and mm-hmm. all of that. And it was really healthy. Like, I mean, I say that over and over again because at the same time, we were just two kids really just doing whatever, fooling around. Yeah. Well, I think that's also, that can be really helpful for people to hear because there is a narrative for a lot of people that if you have been violated in some way, then you are damaged goods. You are broken. There's no hope. And it just does not have to be true. I didn't know where this would go, but that was part of the reason. I was like, I really want to do this Mm -hmm. because I do think it's an important message. And I'm not saying everything was good. I mean, there have been some really challenging, obviously, experiences where something will happen. I'll be having sex with someone that I actually really, really love and care about and something will happen Mm -hmm. and I'll have a memory. But yeah, there would be like this just like um, a flashbulb memory, flashback and just, yeah. And that's not good. (laughs) That's Mm. not a good thing. That's, um, no one deserves that. Um, yeah. And so I felt like, just like that little voice inside of me, that strong, I don't know why I say little, that very loud, actually, yeah. strong voice at 13 that said, quit. I also, and I don't know, again, I have, I have never lost my faith. And I think that that is the reason because hmm. it's deep. There was another thing that I felt like if I relied on my I don't know how to describe it. My healthy instinct, it didn't lead me astray. Mm-hmm. So that relationship with him was really healthy. Each step of the way, this is healthy. I know what it looks like. Mm. 
it, it was all about that, like me being active, me choosing, mm-hmm. right? So let's let's talk about your husband. Let's yeah, talk about yeah. your current relationship and and how that developed and what your sex life is like. Yeah. So uh, like I said, well, yeah, so we're very, very, very happy right now. And that's amazing. Um, I never uh, thought about it before, but we, we recently had an unhappy time. And a lot of it, I think, is because we had four kids really quickly. Mm. I was always fairly careful. But anyway, I guess I'm really fertile. <laughs> <laughs> because... When I was on the pill and we, we kind of were like, well, you know, we're married and, uh, you know, who knows? We might want to get a dog and maybe want <laughs> kids. We were at that stage. And uh, so I went off the pill thinking, you know, it usually takes a couple years. Within three months, I was pregnant and miscarried. With three, three more months, I was pregnant again with my first son. Wow. Then I was pregnant again and miscarried. When he was 11 months old, oh, even wow. though we were breastfeeding, uh, I was breastfeeding, uh, then um, pregnant again, and it was my second son. Mm. I was on birth control for my second son. I was on birth control for my third son. Wow. For my third son, I had I was back to work and uh, determined to only have two kids and um, so happy. And I thought, you know what? I had protected sex, but I didn't trust it. I think I used the sponge and I thought, you know what? I'm just going to go be careful and get a morning after pill before I head into work for the day. Mm-hmm. So I did that. And the and the lovely doctor said, uh, you know, we just have this policy, just do a pregnancy te- test before. And I was like, sure, whatever. Do the pregnancy test. Yep. That's son number three. Wow. So no, no, uh, no plan B. I was pregnant and happy like I each time I got pregnant I was full of joy like I was like let's do this you know mm-hmm. yeah. I, I love you know whatever I, mm-hmm. I like so and I was thrilled I I want to be clear part of the reason I can tell that story so uh, without weird feelings is that I literally was happy mm-hmm. uh, each time and it was funny and so uh, the th- the fourth one Really, literally, we kind of were like, what the hell? Let's just make it four. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, and then, so four, I was done. My body was done. And mm-hmm. so I said, you know, to my husband, you have to get a vasectomy. Or I said, that's it. Like, I, mm-hmm. you've got to get a vasectomy. And he uh, was not happy about that. He thought it was a very bad idea. He was pissed. And I said, look, you can either get a vasectomy or you can be a really happy single father with five kids. <laughs> and that changed his mind? <laughs> I Yeah. he. It was one of those moments where it was he did it and he wasn't happy. And that led – that was one of the things that led to us in the end needing to separate for a while because it was just – Yeah. Do you think he was unhappy because he didn't want to have surgery or was he unhappy because he thought it somehow affected his manhood? I think he would agree that he was unhappy because it wasn't his quote unquote choice. It was uh, being imposed on him. It's interesting that I chose as a husband somebody who has incredibly intense control issues. (laughs) Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I think that's really interesting that the person I ended up marrying is someone who in the end, it's, you know, not always. I mean, it's not, but it it can be a little bit my way or the highway with him. Yeah. So it sounds like you separated for a while. What brought you back together? I was adamant. Things were getting just intractable. Um, And he was uh, not okay with it. And again, I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that it was just, you know, not his idea. Mm -hmm. Really. Um, but also it's just, it just, it was inconceivable. So he was making it incredibly difficult for me to even leave the house. Um, so I 
divided the house up and I made myself a separate, semi-separate suite in our house. And that was, I was ready. Like I was trying very hard to find a place to live and I was doing everything I could to get out. And he was making it very, very, very difficult. So, um, I, he, I told him, you've got to go to counseling. You've got to start doing the work. You've got to do your work. You know, I've done my work. You haven't done any work. And now, you know, you just have to. And so he did, uh, with this idea that we'd get back together. And I said, look, we're not getting back together. I just, I mean, you've got to do your work because, you know, whoever's going to be next after me needs somebody who's healthy. And you mm. you know, you just haven't done anything to, to work on yourself. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, he did, I, you know, he, he did. And he not only went to therapy, but typical him bought himself a, a, a workbook. For, which he did, he had no idea. We, we had not really been talking at all about anything for ages, but it happened to be one of my favorite, uh, counseling, um, theories, um, acceptance and commitment theory. So he actually just by chance bought himself a thick workbook on ACT and did it, you know, went hmm. through this workbook. Um, he went on a, a week long kayaking trip trip by himself where he did his workbook and did some, you know, deep, deep, deep work. And interestingly, after about a, a year and a half, year and three quarters, and no movement at all on kind of making it easy, making it non-challenging with the kids and everything for me to, to leave. I was still in the house technically. And I don't know what switched for me, I think a part of me was like, you know, honestly, if you're not, if none of this is ever going to move and this is going to be like a, you know, lifelong struggle, I don't mind. This is literally what I said. I don't mind living with you like brother and sister. Mm. I don't mind just doing that. If that's, Mm -hmm. I was, I'm tired. I don't, you know, I've had a good life. I want to be a good mother. Not like, I want to be clear. This wasn't like, I was just like, look, I'll do this. I can be friends with you. You've mm-hmm. done your, you've done a lot of work. So, uh, we started going on walks together. He had changed. I said things like, you know, the next woman that you find is going to be really happy. I have mm. to admit, you really have done your work. This is really great. She's going to be me, you know, really happy. Still like, this is great, but I have no love left for you. And then something just happened. Something just switched in me. Mm. I don't know what it is. I really still don't. That's why I just say it was grace because I was done and I wasn't, I didn't need to be married. I certainly didn't need to be married to him. Mm-hmm. So I said, look, if the ball's in your court, I'm willing to go to th- uh, counseling with you. I'm willing to go to couples counseling with you now. And we did. Wow. And it was amazing. How long ago was this? So it was probably 2000, late 2008. 18, summer of 2018. Oh, so that's fairly recent. It's really recent. That's why, that's why I can say I'm like wow. giddily in love with him now. Like we're, uh-huh. we're like, like little kids, like we're like, not little kids, that's gross, but we're like you know, <laughs> teenagers. <laughs> wow. We're like, te- you know, it's kind of cool. Yeah. So yeah. So what is your sex life like today? So uh, again, like after he did all this work and uh, it's vulnerable. Yeah. Like it's vulnerable for the very first time where we're both from fairly conservative backgrounds. And so it's like really vanilla stuff, but, um, but lots of talking now, lots of communication, lots of do this, not that, or Mm. let's try this very vanilla. Um, but man, mind blowingly pleasurable. And awesome. I do know of which I speak. And so <laughs> now you said very vanilla a couple times, which makes me wonder if you want it to be something else. I don't. I don't. Uh-huh. I'm just a little bit like, like, oh, you know, I don't. And mm-hmm. it's funny. I have a really good friend in town, um, who's single and, uh, she tells me all these things she does, you know. And um, I'm always like, tell me more, tell me more. And I'm not <laughs> listening. Yeah. But then I think about it. 
And like, and we went into the local, um, we've been in a couple times to the local sex shop together, uh, she and I, and, uh, she's shown me the things she's bought and all this stuff. And I'm always like, that's really cool. That sounds like, and I think, nah, you know, <laughs> <laughs> literally, like, I'm just like, nah, and yeah. not cause I don't, I just am like, nah. You mentioned before we started recording that you have recently been having some pain that has changed things for you. Can you yeah. talk a little bit about that? And that's just simply that I have really, really bad chronic tendinitis in my uh, groin, mm. in my hips. So it really hurts. Like, mm. it really hurts. And so I'm not as, uh, you know, I just have to, for the first time ever, instead of just moving around and doing whatever, I have to be like, I can't do that. It hurts. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's just been, even though I'm like being like, Oh, we talk and it's vulnerable. We're, I'm still really, uh, shy that way. Like I, and I think for good reason for Beck's sake, um, it's really hard for me. It's never been easy. It's been a, you know, the thing that I do when I'm like, this is what I want and this, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, this, that, I've just had to say, look, that really hurts or we have to yeah. do this or can we do it this way or whatever. And I like have to touch myself, uh, because mm-hmm. of the certain positions that I can't get into because they hurt too much my groin and my, uh, yeah. And so I can't like get into certain positions where normally that's just, where I like to be. Yeah. I have to like do other things where I don't have the same, I have to touch myself and stuff, which I was always like, he thinks it's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm there still like, I know I'm 52 and I know that, but I am still like, oh, I don't, I don't want to do that in front (laughs) of you. And it's silly because I mean, I don't know, silly, but yeah. So Mm. that's, but it's been awesome because then when I'm forced to do that, obviously it ends up, good better mm-hmm. and that's a, almost an added layer of excitement and stuff that um so the vulnerable part is that is just me having to actually say like i need this or yeah so you've also told me that you are postmenopausal. how has that changed your experience of sex if at all it hasn't really just mm-hmm. i am dealing with feeling like that I'm now I'm dealing with that taboo of <laughs> I don't want to even say I fall in I believe in this I didn't think I did but mm-hmm. old women shouldn't have sex mm-hmm. you know yeah yeah and I'm embarrassed I'm embarrassed and a little pissed at myself I guess that I care mm. and um yeah. I mean, I'm just, that's where I am right now. That's a full acceptance. That's where I am right now. I want, I feel like I can see the light in the end of the tunnel that at some point I'm going to embrace it more and stuff, but that's where I'm at. It's yeah. just feeling like a little bit, and it's pissing me off because obviously I had a decade of pregnancy. All <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> pregnant and pregnant breastfeeding. Uh, so it's kind of like, oh, God damn it. Can't I just, I just want to enjoy myself finally. And I do, but I'm feeling like, You know, I don't know. And now it's time for the lowdown. The things we're dying to know, but would usually be too polite to ask any good girl. What's the approximate number of sex partners you've had? Um... Approximate would be 10. Okay. Somewhere in that range. 7, 10. What's your favorite sex toy? That's just it. I don't have any. I'm so <laughs> And I don't want... I, my, I've had girlfriends like, you need a vibrator. I'm going to send you one. This is ridiculous. But I've never needed one or wanted one. That's great. If you don't want one, <laughs> there's no need to have one. <laughs> I know, but that's what I'm just like... What the hell? <laughs> Have you ever felt a sexual urge that confused you? So definitely uh, confused sometimes by like 
the the where where the fantasy goes when I'm um, masturbating. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I'm like, why would I want? But it in well, and then I can just therapize myself, in, and I'm like, oh well, of course I want control. I want someone to control me um, uh-huh. in my fantasies, and I think that's just over out of a kind of a tired, like not really wanting to always be in control. That's also really common among people who have experienced some type of assault or violation um, to want to play that out again in a way where they know that they can say no, where they know that there's an end point. So that's super common. That's exactly as you were saying. I was like, yeah, kind of confused. And then also no, but mm-hmm. that would be the one where I'm always like, well, that's weird. I guess that's where I'm going today. Uh-huh. And uh, yeah. yeah. So. so we have done it. That is the end of the questions. This has been a joy. <laughs> and thank you for letting me indulge. Yeah, it's been a pleasure talking with you. Thank you. That's it for today. If you're enjoying the show, please take a moment to leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, or if you're using another podcast app, go to ratethispodcast.com forward slash goodgirls. And remember, there's a treasure trove of audio extras available for free at Patreon. Go to patreon.com forward slash goodgirlstalkaboutsex. While listening to those extras is free, producing this show is not. If my work is meaningful to you, and you have a few dollars to support it each month, I will gratefully accept your patronage at Patreon. I donate 10% of all Patreon proceeds to ARC Southeast, an organization that supports women in the Southeast United States to access reproductive services that are increasingly difficult to obtain. Find out more and become a community member at patreon.com forward slash good girls talk about sex. Show notes and transcripts for this episode are at goodgirlstalk.com. Follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at Good Girls Talk for more sex positive content. If you have a question or comment about anything you've heard on the show, call and leave a message at 720-GOOD-SEX. Good Girls Talk About Sex is produced by me, Leah Carey, and edited by Gretchen Kilby. I have additional administrative support from Lara O'Connor and Maria Franco. Transcripts are produced by Jan Asiello. Before we go, I want to remind you that the things you may have heard about your sexuality aren't true. You are worthy. You are desirable. You are not broken. As your sex and intimacy coach, I will guide you in embracing the sexuality that is innately yours, no matter what it looks like. To set up your free discovery call, go to leahcarry.com forward slash coaching. Until next time, here's to your better sex life.